Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. It was 41 years ago today, 41 years ago today, February 26th, 1979, that something really special took place. Just around the corner, at the corner of Route 4 and Kemper Road, a lady came into the church there, the Calvary Church, 41 years ago today, came into the church on her lunch break, and it was during that lunch break that God filled her with the baptism of the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in other tongues. It was a powerful moment that has implications even today. It was a moment that would come to change the lives of Greg and Robin Meadows. And I want her to come up here tonight. Looking for a mic. We're going to have to share a mic. You got one? All right. But how many love Greg and Robin Meadows? They are awesome people. And Greg and Robin are beloved in this congregation. They have, over the last four decades, led a variety of ministries. You might not know, but they used to be over the nursery ministry and did an amazing job over the ushers. She still helps with that, and Greg's over our security, and uh, Greg continues to serve as a board member of this church. They also lead a nursing home life group that they've done for many, many years, I believe over a decade, and have led marriage life groups as well. They have taught and currently teach Bible studies. They are prayer warriors and pillars among us. And I'm thankful today for that day 41 years ago when Robin walked into the Calvary Pentecostal Church on Kemper Road, and we're going to let her tell kind of that story and what led to that moment. So tell us kind of what led to that moment 41 years ago when you walked into the Calvary Church. Well, first of all, Greg and I were married young, and... um We were married for like three years. We got a divorce, and then we got remarried after a year. Our lives were really messed up. We were young, immature, and we just uh, started going to church, and I just was reading my Bible. I lost my grandfather, and when I lost my grandfather, it really devastated me. And um, But anyway, I started reading my Bible a lot, a co-worker, that I saw that I worked with, she read her Bible on her lunch hour, and so did I. So she started witnessing to me about, um, you know, the doctrine that we hold dear, being baptized in Jesus' name, being filled with the Holy Ghost. So anyway, um, in January of that year, I got baptized. Then I just felt this pull of, of the worldliness, you know, trying to I was fighting, you know, I was having some battles mentally and spiritually. 
So I told my coworker, and she said, she said, you need the Holy Ghost. You need the power of the Holy Ghost. So I started seeking that out because I would always seek things. I wanted to see it in the Word before I believed it. I, you know, I wasn't like Thomas, doubting Thomas, but yet I wanted to read Thank it. Thank you for I wanted clarifying to make sure. <laughs> it's okay. But anyway, um, we, I, I came up to get baptized in January. Then on my lunch hour, she said to me, uh, her name was Jackie, she said, uh, they had just started the school, too, and we, we had just gotten home here out by the uh, community center in Springdale. So everything was working together. God was orchestrating our lives. Um, so we got a house, and we had Heather enrolled in the Calvary Christian Academy. So we, uh, I came up on my lunch hour, and I'll never forget, Connie Wilson was in the office, Joe's mom, and this friend of mine said, she's being drawn. She needs the Holy Ghost. And she says, I'm going to get Brother Norman. So he came in, and I was at the altar. And I mean, within a minute, I was filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. And I remember being different inside. I felt like I was at the cross, you know, of where Jesus was. And I knew uh, that he died for me. And I just felt so different. I looked at things different. And I, I remember going home that night telling Greg, and he goes, you're not any different. <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, I am. <laughs> and he saw, too, that I was. So. <laughs> but that was, you know, that was the start of that. So, But our lives, you know, God got our lives in order. A few months later, he got baptized and got full of the Holy Ghost. But we tried a few other churches, and he said, let's go back to Calvary because they really love each other there, you know. And that's what really drew us back was um, Chris Tokash, her dad, and Joe Pasley invited us over to their house because they worked out, and so did my husband, and that kind of was a common ground. But uh, back then, it was Brother Pasley and Brother Norman. So they uh, taught Greg and I Bible studies for, you know, 10 months. <laughs> it was supposed to be 10 weeks. It was 10 months. But it, it went into Revelation, and, you know, it really... Uh, but they took us under their wings and really uh, kind of protected us and taught us and discipled us. Amen. So. Amen. Aren't you glad that they're a part of Calvary? In January, we began a conversation about the importance of living our lives of faith in a way that has impact in other people's lives. And I'm convinced that God is doing amazing things in our congregation today. And we're growing not just numerically, but we are maturing, I believe, as a congregation. And part of the maturity is the realization that we can have a real impact on the world around us. We specifically talked in January about what it meant to be a contagious Christian, and I'm going to just recap just something we talked about. We considered this formula, HP plus CP plus CC equals MI, and it's high potency plus close proximity plus clear communication equals maximum impact. And we found this out of the passage in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, and if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. 
You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives, gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And so we really talked about how important being salt and being light is. And as disciples of Jesus Christ, the Calvary Church, we embrace this model where we say we're to bless those around us. And we use this idea, this acronym, BLESS, and we say we, as disciples, are meant to belong locally, learn truth, experience transformation, share light, and serve others, that we belong, learn, experience, share, and serve. And so when Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, he was telling us that God needs to shine, obviously, through our lives so that people can see your good works, what God is doing in you, and hopefully they will come to glorify God. They will come to put their confidence in God. And last week, Kristen introduced a series that we're on now called Making Disciples, and we're using a book from uh, Bishop Pasley II's best friend, Pastor Stan Gleason, called Follow to Lead, and we're also using Pastor Pasley's uh, master thesis uh, that he wrote called Making Disciples. And here's what we find, and this is the passage that we launched with last week. And you're familiar with it, Matthew 28, let's begin at 18. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And so tonight we will continue to look at this key passage and find some important truths that I hope motivate us to have maximum impact in our world. And I say our world because we're not just aimlessly shooting for the world in a general sense. My hope, and I believe Christ's hope, is that you would impact your world, your circle of influence. So... Let's talk about the Great Commission. It's known as the Great Commission. Why do we call it the Great Commission? Few reasons, and some Kristen talked about, but they're the final words of Jesus Christ. And we know that final words carry weight, don't they? When somebody says something towards the end of their life, many times it has significance. And so we find weight in these words because it's towards the end of Jesus' life. He's already ascended in the, or resurrected, and he's getting ready to ascend into heaven. Secondly, Matthew concludes his writings with these words. So these are the last words that Matthew pens, as if it's an exclamation point, right? So Matthew ends with this, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, amen. It was the conclusion of his gospel project. And so it carries a weight. It tells us something that it's important. And we realize and we call it the Great Commission because it was clear and it was simple. So now what do I do? Now that all that this has been written about Jesus, what do we do? 
And Peter or Matthew tells us that Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. These words of Jesus are called the great commission. We realize that and we say that because, number one, they're great, very powerful and appointed. But these words can also be called the great commission because it's a co-mission. It's not just a mission. It's a co-mission. Mission being an important assignment but co-being together. You're doing it with Christ. And so he ends with that exclamation point, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so we call it the Great Commission. But what is the Great Commission? So I want you to quote the Great Commission to your neighbor sitting next to you. I want you to quote the Great Commission to your neighbor. All right? Hopefully, you. All right. It's a little awkward. It'll get more awkward as the night goes on. All right. Good job. So, what does the Great Commission, what word does the Great Commission start with? No. All. It starts with all. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. That's pretty important because then it says, Go therefore. The word inserted is therefore. It's tying it back to something he already said. So we can't say that the commission is go if we don't understand what therefore is there for. Therefore is all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. And so because I have all authority, go. The command to go can only be fulfilled if you know and submit to the commander who has all authority. So the Great Commission is a response to our complete faith in Jesus Christ. So I ask you, do you believe Jesus has all authority? That's the question we have to begin with. Do we believe that Jesus has all authority? And let's take it a step further. Does he have all authority in your life? That's a tougher question. I I want to say yes, because I think that's what I should say. But my life doesn't always indicate that that's the right answer. Kristen talked about the conversation Jesus had with the rich ruler last week. The passage really talks about 
that sense of being a disciple, right? A follower of Jesus. And so it says, a certain ruler asked him, saying, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? That's a valid question. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one that is, uh, that is God. And he He said, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these things I've kept from my youth. The ruler says, I've done it all. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Why was the prerequisite to sell all he had? It's because if he did not sell all he had, he would not have followed Jesus. And so we have to ask the question, what do we have in our life that is still ours? What do you have in your life that you consider is still yours? What are you the owner of? What authority in your life do you still have. It's a challenging question. Jesus said this, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Stan Gleason in his book, Follow to Lead, says of this passage, he said, the word deny to deny himself means to resist, reject, or refuse. To deny yourself does not mean to deny your appearance, to deny your DNA or pedigree or career, emotions or intelligence, but denying yourself simply means to dethrone yourself as the Lord of your life. Dethrone yourself. It means to deny yourself of the right to live selfishly, with no consideration of purpose other than your own. And he says this, before we can pray, thy kingdom come, we must first be willing to pray, my kingdom go. It's a challenge. It's the tension we wrestle with. If we're going to be in the business of really making disciples, we must first begin with the idea that Jesus Christ is my Savior. He died on the cross for my sins, but he's also my Lord. He's my Lord. And it will take the selling out of saying things like, I deserve things for me. I deserve me time. Anybody ever say that? But you really do. You have to lay aside yourself. You have to dethrone yourself to really make disciples the way God wants us and needs us to make disciples. We have to see people the way God sees them. And so to make disciples requires energy. It requires effort. It requires sacrifice. It requires commitment. If we're going to embrace this command and say, okay, I want to make disciples, it's going to require some effort on our part. I want to commend Anthony Mitchell tonight, who's running AV. It's just an example to me of somebody who 
uh, just demonstrates this commitment. He and I are teaching a Bible study to a great man who has been coming to the Calvary Church for the last month or so. And yesterday, Tuesday, Anthony left his house at 6 a.m. in the morning, drove to Detroit, Michigan for a meeting with his work, drove back to Cincinnati in time, just in time at 5.30 p.m. to be a part of a Bible study. That's what I think is called sold out. I I have to say, I I was inspired by it. I'd like to think that I would do the same thing, Anthony. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for that commitment. So how does the Great Commission happen? We understand all authority has been given to Jesus Christ in heaven and earth. And because of that reality and our surrender to that reality, Jesus said, go therefore. Herein we see the power of Jesus' simple command. He simply says, go. And so he's telling us to not just live aimlessly in life, but to actually live with intention, to live with intention, not to wait and hope that people come to you asking you about Jesus, but we are called to go where they are. And we talked about this a little bit in Contagious Christianity, that first, our lives lived holy, our lives lived pleasing to God, provides the authenticity for people to have confidence that What we say we believe, we actually believe. And the second element was, and that's high potency, the second element was close proximity, being in relationship with people around us, being willing to have authentic conversations about faith. It puts us in places where people are in in a place that they can know your authenticity. Just because we're sitting next to somebody or near somebody doesn't mean we know them or they know us. I want you to look around just in a quick circle of the 10 people around you. How many of them do you think you really know? You're sitting close to them. You're in proximity to them. But to really know them requires another level of authenticity, doesn't it? And so he said, go there for, not just go aimlessly and hopefully something good happens, but go with intention. And it puts us, authenticity puts us in a place of proximity. And not only are we in proximity, but we have purpose for our proximity. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. We go to make disciples. We go to make disciples. Stan Gleason says this, you can live for God and have good morals, joy, and fulfillment in Christ. But if you are not taking someone on the journey with you, then you have not discovered your ultimate purpose as a disciple. You can live for God and have good morals, joy, and fulfillment in Christ, but if you are not taking someone on the journey with you, then you have not discovered your ultimate purpose as 
a disciple. Let that sink in for a moment. I've been renewed in God's calling and vision as the point leader of this church. A few years ago, we restated our purpose, our mission, to help us better understand what making disciples meant. Our stated mission for the Calvary Church is to help people find a growing relationship with God and to live out his purpose. To help people find a growing relationship with God and live out his purpose. That's our intention. That's why we exist. And this is God's purpose for not only our church, but I believe it's for you. To help somebody find a growing relationship with God and live out his purpose. However, I've been compelled by God to restate this mission and to include the element that was so importantly stated by our beloved Bishop II, and that is simply to make disciples. So when you're asked and we state what is the purpose of the Calvary Church, we're going to say to make disciples, to help people find a growing relationship with God and to live out his purpose. That's why I exist. That's why you exist. That's why the church exists, to make disciples. And so Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. It was an intentional decision that Jesus called us to, to put ourselves in a place to help people find who Jesus is and an intentional decision to help people make the journey. So we go with purpose, a purpose to make disciples. Making disciples is Somewhat challenging if we think about it, but it is having a front seat as you watch the grace of God develop lasting spiritual fruit in people's lives. You get a front seat to the glory of God. You get a front seat when you make disciples to the grace of God in action in people's lives. And you can't put a price tag on that. Disciple-making is the most exciting life in the world. I don't know what fulfills you, but I can tell you this. Nothing in your spiritual life will fulfill you more than watching somebody you're connected to come to know Christ and live for him. I, I, I watch it every time, as simple as this is. When parents go back there, and see their children baptized, you can't stop the floodgates. When they see their children receive with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you can't put a price tag on that feeling. And I want to tell you, it's the same way of somebody you're not related to. There's something that happens when you are a part of watching someone come to Christ. And so it has been said that if you love your job, then you never have to work a day in your life. How many love your job? Don't raise your hand. That way I don't have to raise my hand. I love my job. Sister Reed, thank you for raising your hand. Using the the same expression, if you love to make disciples, if you love to make disciples, then you never have to go to church a day in your life because you bring church with you everywhere you go. Some of you struggled maybe to get here tonight. Have to go to church. That's how I felt. No, I'm kidding. Have to go to church. 
But when we realize we're helping people find God, it it becomes less of a chore and it becomes more of joy in our life. And so I challenge you tonight to live on purpose. Psalm chapter 37, verse 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, and in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. And based on these two passages alone, it is apparent apparent that God orders and directs our steps. He wants to lead us that we don't walk just aimlessly and without purpose, but that we would have purpose in our life. And here's what we know. God loves lost people, and he wants to reach them with his saving grace. And as I've mentioned before, the term lost is not a, a term of degrading somebody. You only lose things that are valuable. Jesus uses that term because it's a term of value. God loves lost people. He's trying to help them be found. And he deliberately planned for us, you and I, if we're a part of the church, he has made a plan for us to be a part of his work in bringing people to a place of surrender to him and for them to live out his purpose. And so living on purpose can happen in two ways. And here's what I I want to end with tonight. Living on purpose can happen in two ways. The first is direct. God can direct us to a specific place, a specific house, a street corner, a vending machine, an office cubicle, or a parking lot to a certain person. He can literally direct us, and we can go and be directed that way. And then we can have an indirect way in which we live on purpose. He can put us on assignment and we can live our life and we may arrive at situations in our life where it just kind of emerges. It wasn't something that God spoke to you specifically to talk to this person or maybe to go to this house or whatever, but it just kind of emerges naturally. In Scripture, we find this. A man named Ananias is told in Acts chapter 9 to show up at a house and to tell a man named Saul about Jesus. Saul was a a powerful religious leader, and he was a violent man. He had a reputation, a reputation that this man, Ananias, understood. He said, he even questioned God, I'm not sure I want to go to that house, but God prevailed. And so we asked the question, what made Ananias qualified to talk to Saul? What was his qualifications to talk to a man like Saul who would come to be so influential in the early church and wrote most of the New Testament? What was the qualification? Matthew chapter 9, verse 10 tells us the qualification. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. That was his qualification. And there was a certain disciple named Ananias. He didn't have a long list of theological degrees. He didn't didn't really seem to stand out in society other than he was a disciple. 
And when the Lord came to him in a vision, he said to the Lord, Here I am, Lord. The Lord who has all authority, here I am. What do you need me for? Now, he, didn't, he debated with God. I, I'd prefer not to go to Saul. He'll probably kill me. He's killing everybody. But ultimately, he had confidence in what God said. This was a direct divine appointment that can be found throughout Scripture. You can look at Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in the wilderness. Cornelius and Peter were, uh, had a direct appointment from God. And maybe you're here tonight and you understand that you've had a direct appointment from God. Maybe, maybe you've had that experience or somebody in your family has that story where, where God literally put somebody right where they needed to be at a specific moment. They were directed to you or to your family. I was talking to Sister Martha Burton today and I was asking her, I figured she might have a little moment like this in her life. And so she was telling me about a time in Venezuela where the Lord put on her the name of a city, a city she wasn't living in, but the Lord had given her a burden for this city. And so she was praying about it. She, according to her, didn't want to go. She wanted to stay where she was living. She liked it better. She had a small family, but the Lord wouldn't release her from the burden of it. And so she went to that city, her and her husband, they went to that city and uh, they started a church. At that same time, there was a man who maybe had fallen out of a uh, relationship with God or even the, the ministry and he, he wanted to come help them in that city. And so they allowed him to come and help them in that city. And he was a construction worker. And so they had him help build that church and build the building. And after a while, they had to leave and go to another city. But in that moment, that city was called to her and, and specifically pointed out. And from that, that construction worker ultimately became the pastor of that church, and 50 years later is still at that church today. Isn't that amazing? Amen. Praise God. And it's being willing, directed, and there are moments in your life. I, I don't want you to just think that that's for, for certain people. You can just be an ordinary person who's directed to go to some place, go to some office building, to go to some uh, business, and, and God can direct you in that way. I was reminded this weekend, this past weekend, I had the opportunity to return to my home church in Canton, and my parents started that church when I was three years old. My dad was telling me that they would pray to know where to go in the city to find people that were hungry for God. And my dad told me about a particular house in Canton that God kept telling him to go to this house. And he would go to that house and he would knock on the door and he would visit a, li a little bit with the person. And it was 10 months of God having him go to this house and talk to this person. And so he kept going back, and God, he said, would not let me stop. And so finally, about 10 months later, he knocks on the door, and this time they invited him in. The next day, they went to church, and he ended up teaching them a Bible study, and that one family resulted in 15 people being baptized, of, and 13 of those receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, including 
uh, one of the grandmothers who lived in North Carolina. And that does not include all of the children and all of the grandchildren that would come to know the Lord and that today, when I was there this Sunday, the grandchildren are the ones, the, the great nieces and nephews are the ones that are leaders in that church today. Amen. Amen. That's a direct, a direct situation where God puts you on assignment to go. But we also have opportunities in Scripture that show us an indirect way in which sometimes God will allow things to emerge. God can open up doors for making disciples when we're simply going through our normal daily routine. The Bible doesn't tell us much about Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, they, they show up to the temple, they show up to the synagogue, they're going to church, and they hear a man by the name of Apollos talking about God, and he was a believer, but something wasn't quite right. And so they took him aside, and they, the Bible says that they uh, took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. It was just their normal routine. They came upon, they literally just stumbled upon a moment where it seemed like the right thing to explain to somebody the importance of baptism, to explain to him what it meant to be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. It would be other examples like uh, Peter and John, right? They're just walking to the temple and somebody appeals to them for money. And it's in that moment that natural moment where that man, that lame man is healed. In that moment, God quickens them. It would be Paul and Silas who would cast out a devil from a woman who was following them. They, they weren't going after the woman. God didn't tell them to, to speak to her. But the circumstance arose and allowed for them to make a difference. And this we know. Paul was purposeful in his life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 24, he said, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. I'm not doing this aimlessly, but I'm living on purpose. I'm going where God wants me to go. It may be in the routine of life, or it may be a clear directive to go to a certain place. But when we talk about Robin's story, Robin's friend was just in the moment. There was nothing unnatural. There was nothing supernatural about them working together. But she took advantage of the environment and realized that God wanted to do something. And I, I really challenge all of us to allow God to speak to us in the ordinary moments of life. In your classroom, on your job, with your family, be willing to speak and allow God to speak in the ordinary days of your life. It's been said that when we go to heaven, the only thing that we can take with us are the disciples that we make. We're not taking our car, not taking your house, not taking your bank account. You're not taking any of that. 
you're going to take the people that you won to the Lord and you helped bring to God. And while this is true, it's also true that the only thing we can leave behind are the disciples we make. Too many good apostolic Christians are living like they're never going to die. They have not planned for their exit. They have no, in a practical sense, no life insurance. They've made no living will or living trust. They have not given any directives about how they want their business taken care of. But more tragically, they are living for God like they will never die because they are not producing or reproducing the fruit of their lives in others. And when they are gone, there will be no trace of their precious spiritual lives lived on this earth. And when we make disciples, we are making investments in others that will outlive us. And that is absolutely critical. And so tonight, I challenge us with that thought that we're called to go, therefore, and make disciples. But first, we have to understand and ask the question, are, are we surrendered to God? Does he have all authority in our life? And are we willing to go, whether it's directly or indirectly? And so our app time tonight, you ready? You sitting next to somebody you're comfortable talking to tonight? All right, for about Five, six minutes, you're going to have to share mic time. But I want you to tell how you came to be converted and how you came to be born again. And here's kind of the angle with that. Was it the result of a direct moment or an indirect moment? The direct moment is that God told somebody to find you somewhere or God told you to go somewhere. And that happens. We have people that attend our church today that, that the Lord told them to come into this church for a worship service. But is it a direct way or is it an indirect? God used an everyday, ordinary experience to connect you to somebody who led you to Christ. All right? So we're going to take about six minutes or so, and I want one person to share and then the other person to share. Tell how you came to be converted and to be born again.
All right. Well, hopefully you got to share a little bit about your story, about coming to Christ. Why don't you stand tonight as we close? It's amazing to realize the path in which God sometimes leads us. Some, some steps are clearer than others. Some steps we can certainly identify as God speaking to us, and, and some are, are not as clear. But here what we know is that the Lord wants to order our steps, and not just our steps, but there are literally hundreds of thousands of people all around us that God is reaching for, God is concerned with, that just as some of your steps didn't include coming to church first, God's working in lives, it's conversations, it's things that God's doing. And this is a great church, a church that has been committed for decades to making disciples. And that's our heartbeat tonight. I thank you for being a part of of our growth university So the questions are tonight, have you surrendered to the Lordship of Christ? Does he have authority in your life? Does he have authority in your life? If he doesn't, it's going to be hard for you to go and make disciples. But if he does have authority in your life, are you willing to live on purpose and go and make disciples? This is a question for all of us, including myself. I want to be a part of God's mission on the earth. And he's invited us to be a part of it. I want to pray for you tonight. Lord, I thank you, God, for the opportunity to gather tonight. I thank you, God, for your word, your word that is clear, it's compelling, it challenges us, Lord. And I'm praying that tonight that there would be no excuses in our life. We would not justify ourselves. We would not justify anything in our life like the the rich ruler did, but Lord, that we would have the mindset that we would sell everything. We would surrender the throne of our minds, the throne of our desires to you tonight. God, that you would be the supreme ruler in our life, that whatever your word says, whatever, God, your spirit leads us when we're in conversations, when we're at work, at school, in the grocery store, wherever we are, Lord, that you would quicken us because we want to be willing to go and make disciples. Lord, thank you for this great church. I pray you'd use us mightily this week. Bring us back Sunday for a great, great time in your presence. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.